Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. This is how it works, America. The prosecutor is now in control of the media agenda when it comes to the election. He files a four-page piece of crap with the most radical judge in America in Washington, D.C. He files on a Friday night, and she demands that the Trump lawyers respond by 5 p.m. on Monday. And um, we don't know what she'll rule. It is the most phony act one can imagine. They're monitoring social media. Donald Trump puts out a social media post that has absolutely nothing to do with documents, has absolutely nothing to do with the protection of documents that are disclosed to the defense. And if they take that, they twist it, they file a four-pager with a judge they have in their back pocket and say, uh, this demonstrates that Donald Trump cannot be uh, trusted with these kinds of documents. Therefore, we don't want to give them to him. And so the usual media hounds, that is, the people who support this revolution that's taking place in America, regurgitate it because they are the state media, which I say over and over and over again because that's what they are. Julie Kelly, who will be on the program next hour, is all over this. She says it didn't take long for things to get nasty in special counsel Jack Smith's case against Donald Trump for allegedly attempting to overturn the 2020 election. Yep. The former president already faces a nearly insurmountable challenge in receiving a fair process, let alone a fair trial in the nation's capital. Following the announcement last week that a D.C. grand jury indicted Trump on four counts related to the events on January 6th, Trump's luck went from bad to worse when the case landed on the docket of Tanya Chutkin an Obama-appointed judge with a record of imposing the toughest sentences against January 6th defendants. In fact, Trump would have been hard-pressed to find a more biased, conflicted judge than Chunkin, who authored a landmark opinion denying Trump's claim of executive privilege and ordering him to produce months of records to the House Democrats' January 6th committee, arguing Trump was not a king. On January 6, 2021, hundreds of rioters converged on the U.S. Capitol, Chunkin wrote in November 2021. They scaled walls, demolished barricades, smashed windows, in a violent attempt to gain control of the building and stop the certification of the 2020 presidential election results. This unprecedented attempt to pre- prevent the lawful transfer of power from one administration to the next caused property damage, injuries, death, For the first time since the election of 1860, the transfer of executive power was distinctly not peaceful. Chutkin presumably missed the 2017 inaugural riots in Washington, 
And when the president who put her on the bench conspired with the federal government's most powerful officials and agencies to concoct the Trump Russia election collusion hoax intended to derail Trump's transition to president and ultimately oust him from office. Trunkin, however, has a keen eye when it comes. I think she wants to go on the D.C. circuit. So I think that's much of this is about. Trunkin, however, has a keen eye when it comes to keeping tabs on Smith's fast moving case against Trump. Smith's signature had barely dried on the 45 page indictment before his lawyers started to pick a fight over a proposed protective order guiding how Trump could access and share evidence. Jack Smith wanted Trump to agree that he would, quote, not disclose materials provided by the United States other than to persons employed to assist in the defense, persons who are interviewed as potential witnesses, counsel for potential witnesses, and other persons to whom the court may authorize disclosure. Let me just comment here. What that means is they want what is, in effect, a secret trial. They want the appearance of a Potemkin trial, that is, that it's open and above board, but it's not. They want to control the narrative. They want to control what information can be made available to you and me, the public, in the middle of a presidential election, in the middle of a Republican primary process. This unelected bureaucrat prosecutor is telling an unelected, radical left-wing Obama judge, do not allow the American people to see what we're doing. Trump's counsel did not agree. But as both sides were haggling over the details, Assistant U.S. Attorney Molly Gaston filed a motion late Friday night asking Chunkin to immediately approve the government's protective order, quote, without awaiting a responsive brief, unquote, from the defense. Now, nobody files something late at night unless it's a serious, provable national security concern because the clerk has gone home. So just so you understand, this means that the government... Department of Justice called the government, the courthouse, to alert them to an emergency filing, which the judge agreed to accept. That's how that works. And notice what she says, this assistant U.S. attorney, Molly Gaston. She should do it, the judge, without even waiting for the defense to give their opinion, to even reply. So Trump's lawyer said, okay, give us till Thursday. And the judge said, no, 5 p.m. Eastern time, Monday. Gaston, the assistant U.S. attorney, claimed her ambush motion was in good faith. Smith did the same in the classified documents case and was scolded in Florida by Judge Aileen Cannon for failing to properly confer with defense before filing a proposed protective order. She denied Smith's motion as a result. By the way, there's a war on her smearing her in the media. I want to get to that later. Judge Cannon. Issuing the protective order in quick fashion, Gaston urged, would expedite the flow of discovery in this case and give the defendant prompt access to a large portion of the discovery he ultimately will receive. But her filing was little more than a political stunt, as well as a low-key attempt at imposing a gag order on Trump and preventing the American people from seeing Smith's evidence against the former president. All right, let's step back. Is this the most nightmarish scenario that the Democrats have created here? They're putting Trump on trial for his freedom in the middle of an election. These are unelected bureaucrats 
who work at the Department of Justice. And an elected judge who's interposed herself into this process by not pushing it back to after the election. I'm going to get to this judge in a minute. And all that this involves. Unbelievable. And then they say such a restriction is particularly important in this case because the defendant has previously issued public statements on social media regarding witnesses, judges, attorneys, and others associated with the legal matters pending against him. Why not? So what? I'll give you my footnote right now to Julie's piece. If the judiciary wants to be part of the election process by allowing itself, even wanting itself, to be part of the electoral process, rather than putting these cases off till after the election or dismissing them altogether to be refiled after the election, then the judiciary is going to come under disrepute. And the judiciary is part of the campaign now. You can't have prosecutors making statements, filing stuff. You can't have judges making rulings and saying stuff in the middle of an election and then expect, oh, don't say anything, everybody. No, 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 don't say anything. When the greatest impact on the election is the judiciary and their decisions. Which is exactly why I've been saying for two weeks now, posting and saying, here, Fox, Levin TV, the judiciary should withdraw from participating in this election in order to protect the the sanctity of the courtroom. It's clear this judge isn't going to do it. They need to get this matter to the Supreme Court, and there's a couple ways to do it. One of the ways I mentioned, they're not slam dunks. In fact, I don't even know how the Supreme Court will rule. I'm not Nostradamus, but it's the only way out. If judges are going to participate, if the judiciary is going to participate on behalf of one party interfering in a presidential election because it controls the government, then the judiciary cannot expect to be treated with respect. The judiciary cannot expect to avoid the the tussle and the back and forth of a presidential election. It's part of it now. The judge is part of it now. She's no longer your honor to me and the American people. No way. No way. Julie Kelly. But Assistant U.S. Attorney Gaston's filing was little more than a political stunt as well as a low-key attempt at imposing a gag order in Trump. Such a restriction is particularly important in this case because the defendant has previously issued public statements on social media, she said, as I pointed out. Gaston then referenced a brief message Trump posted on True Social last Friday afternoon, quote, In recent days regarding this case, the defendant has issued multiple posts, she said, either specifically or by implication, including the following, which the defendant posted just hours ago. If you go after me, I'm coming after you. As Julie Kelly points out, she's 100% correct. That's quite a stretch on Gaston's part. And even if Trump was, in fact, referring to those prosecuting him, he later insisted he was not. So what? He's supposed to remain closed-lipped as a presidential candidate, facing unprecedented prosecution at the hands of his successor and 2024 rival? Who made Jack Smith, 
king. Neither the timing nor the political nature of the government's motion bothered Judge Chutkin. The very next morning, she ordered Team Trump to respond to the proposed protective order by 5 p.m. tonight, giving his overburdened lawyers one business day to prepare a response. Trump's counsel immediately asked for a three-day extension, explaining to Chutkin that negotiations were underway when Gaston abruptly filed her proposed protective order and noting the court's rules allowing opposing counsel 14 days to file a response. An additional three days to brief this important issue is reasonable, consistent with the local rules, and serves the interest of justice. No party would be prejudiced by the request, requested relief, as this case is at its very early stages, and no matters are currently pending that require the immediate resolution of the motion. John Lauro and Todd Blanche, Trump's attorneys explained, emails between the parties were attached to the defense motion confirming disagreement on the proposal, but underscoring at least some degree of cooperation. And that's when the threats began. In a follow-up motion, U.S. Attorney Gaston warned Smith's office would not produce discovery. The government's collection of evidence in a case until Trump's team agreed to the protective order. Quote, the government stands ready to, pr- to, uh, to press send on with discovery production. The defendant is standing in the way. The court should deny the motion. What a bunch of friggin' Stalinists. Judge Chunkin, to the surprise of no one, obeyed. She obeyed what Smith wanted. She denied the request for a three-day extension and reestablished the deadline 5 p.m. this evening, which has since passed. During a Sunday interview, Trump lawyer Lauro told CNN's Dana Bash why his client would not agree to the proposed protective order. We will not agree to keep information that's not sensitive from the press. Press the American people in a campaign season have a right to know what the evidence is in this case, provided that this evidence is not protected otherwise. But Bash along with their media cohorts and the Democrat judge, are unconcerned with the high level of secrecy sought by Smith's team in two unprecedented cases against a former president. Not only will Trump not get a fair shake in D.C., his trial in the court of public opinion won't fare any better at this rate. Now you know the whole story. Now you know. And look at the media. The Praetorian Guard media, the Pravda of America, cheering on the Stalinists because they are Stalinists. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Let's put things in basic perspective, which you're not going to find anywhere else. Not on talk radio, not on cable TV, and I don't care whose show it is. I want to put things in plain perspective. Joe Biden and his family have been involved in bribery, extortion, money laundering, wire fraud involving enemies of the country. Communist China, the prior Ukrainian corrupt administration type of Putin, and a corrupt Romanian government. They have acquired and have laundered and have secreted through shell companies Anywhere from 30 to 50 million dollars. Now that is enough to impeach this man, certainly with an inquiry, and enough for a special counsel. He's not even under investigation, let alone facing any kind of charges in any court in the land. Not a single charge. He took classified documents out of the Senate skiff when he was a senator. It's a crime. A senator. And he took classified documents to his home in Wilmington and put them in the garage, which, if what Donald Trump did is a crime, is certainly a crime. Again, the it's not protected by the Presidential Records Act. It's called the Presidential Records Act. Nothing. A phony special counsel appointed. The most milk toast of milk toasts that they could find. Donald Trump took documents to Mar Largo as an ex president under the Presidential Records Act. And under federal court precedent in Washington, D.C., Judge Jackson, an Obama appointee, he had every right not only to take them, but to decide what, if anything, he would give to the government. The National Archives, run by leftists, contacted the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland and said, we want those classified documents. Department of Justice was required to contact the White House for permission to look at the request. The White House gave permission. And they opened a criminal investigation. Because Donald Trump and his lawyers didn't act fast enough to give them what they wanted. Regardless of whether or not Donald Trump had to give them anything. And it also raises a much more complex constitutional issue of declassification. 
These are not things you indict a former president over. Certainly not a candidate is running for re-election. And yet Donald Trump was indicted under the Espionage Act of 1917. The Presidential Records Act, which went into effect in 1991, the Presidential Records Act wasn't even mentioned in the various charges that were brought against Donald Trump, even though it's the controlling law. And you have legal analysts all over TV telling you that this is the real case. And in bringing this case against Donald Trump, the prosecutors, the Biden Department of Justice, purposely used a Washington, D.C. grand jury, even though that violated official Department of Justice prosecutorial guidelines, which compels grand jury investigations to be done in the district in which the events, or most of the events, are alleged to have occurred. South Florida is a thousand miles away from Washington, D.C. And so you have abuse of that process intentionally, given the makeup of the grand jury made up of Democrats. Oh, you need a majority of the grand jurors to agree, to indict. doesn't have to be unanimous. All the investigative activity, the witnesses... The presentations were made in Washington, D.C. to that grand jury. Then they shipped them down to South Florida and say, okay, rubber stamp this grand jury in Florida. They rubber stamp it. And according to the Garland Biden Justice Department, that's good enough. Even though they violated their own rules. They took... Three years worth of video. They only wanted to give the president a certain number of weeks, if not months, of video. The judge down there said, that's ridiculous. You, can, you don't get to decide what video they see and they don't see. They wanted to try the case without President Trump and his lawyers actually seeing classified information. The judge said, that's ridiculous. We're not going to do that either. They wanted to try the case in December with a handful of Trump lawyers would have to go through 1.1 million documents, three years of videos, all the testimony and all the rest that took place in the federal grand jury in Washington, D.C. The Department of Justice insisted that Donald Trump could get a fair trial. And at stake is Donald Trump's freedom. Because if he's found guilty of all the charges that have been presented against him, in the documents case, over documents, documents, he would have to serve hundreds of years in federal prison. In other words, he would die in federal prison. Over documents. Then in Washington, D.C., again, We have another grand jury under the same prosecutors. Most of these people at the senior level work for Eric Holder, the Department of Justice. They work with James Comey. They worked with Andrew Weissman. There's nothing special about this special counsel operation other than he was appointed special counsel, which means his entire existence is aimed at Donald Trump. 
as opposed to the usual criminal division activity. Which is exactly why Garland will not appoint a special counsel to investigate Joe Biden. Because they know Joe Biden will die in federal prison. Yes, they can hold the indictments till after he leaves the presidency. Then we come to Washington, D.C. January 6th, we're told, was an insurrection. January 6th commission put together by Nancy Pelosi, where she chose the Democrats and the Republicans, two never-Trumpers. They hold a Stalinist-like public show trial. No information is provided, no witnesses are provided in defense of Donald Trump. Nothing. No evidence is provided linking Donald Trump to any of the violence that took place on that day. None. Well, what they do is they try by implication. So Donald Trump was guilty of what happened that day because he spoke. Because he spoke to a group of people who assembled to protest the election. He specifically told them to be peaceful. Two days before, he specifically told his acting secretary of defense, the head of the Joint Chiefs, the chief of staff to the acting secretary of defense and others who were in the Oval Office, to inform Capitol Hill, meaning Pelosi, and the mayor of of Washington, that he will make available to them 10,000 armed troops. National Guardsmen in the Army. If they're concerned or they think they need security. They said no. The optics would be bad. The same time, the director of the FBI, effectively Chris Christie appointee, because Chris Christie recommended him, former head of the criminal division under George W. Bush, Ray had on his desk a memo. The NYPD, the FBI office, one of their offices in in Virginia had picked up word that there could be violence that day. They sent it to headquarters and the FBI and nothing happened. It sat there. It sat there. Nothing happened. So Donald Trump, we were told, was responsible for whatever happened. And Donald Trump, we're told, was trying to obstruct the election of 2020. And Donald Trump, we're told, was trying to prevent the peaceful transition of power. And so what did they do? They take the 1871 Ku Klux Klan Act as one of their charges against Donald Trump, having taken the 1917 Espionage Act against Donald Trump in the documents case. Then on the obstruction issue, they've been very successful charging protesters from January 6th with 18 U.S.C. Section 1512. What's that? Everybody scratched their head. What the hell's that? Well, after the Enron scandal was over, they felt there was a gap. 
and Congress was asked to pass a law, which they did, that would make it a felony for corporate executives to destroy records in anticipation of Congress holding hearings. They've taken that law, they've expanded it beyond recognition, and they've applied it to hundreds of January 6th protesters. This is the obstruction that they've charged them with. It's been appealed to the circuit court. It will eventually get to the Supreme Court, but not in time. And I must tell you, I'm very concerned when we watch John Roberts and his student, Justice Barrett, who are now repeatedly siding with the leftists on the court, as they did today. Barrett is a massive disappointment. Conservatives fought like hell for her. Too bad. She's an Andrew Kennedy. Excuse me, an Anthony Kennedy. A disaster. That for another day. You're allowed to tell your vice president that you think he should send these decisions about electors back to the state. It's not illegal. It's not unconstitutional. It's certainly not criminal. That's not obstruction. You're allowed to reach back to state legislatures and the Republican Party and suggest that they send a list of their own electors. It's been done repeatedly. You hear the bobbleheads on TV regurgitate what I said, which is 1876 and 1960. That's exactly what was done. Today they call them fake electors. They can call them whatever they want. It doesn't change a damn thing. That's not a crime. The fact is that they were not certified by the archivist, and they were not accepted by the vice president serving as the president of the Senate, overseeing the January 6th electoral counts. That's the way it's supposed to work. There's nothing criminal about it. Nothing. And so they charge him with these phony crimes, which he can do God knows how much more, another 200 years, I guess. And the judge that's overseeing the case is known to be a hack. She donated money to the Obama campaign. Two years later, he appoints her to the court. She is a radical leftist. She abuses her authority. You had three federal judges from that court, all appointed by Obama, sitting in the back row. Last week, when Donald Trump faced the magistrate at the public hearing, what do they think? Is this a clown show? Why were they sitting in the back row? And she's working very hard right now to write an opinion, in my view, which gives the federal government all or at least a big chunk of what they want and putting a gag rule on the former president so he cannot run for president. This provides a massive opportunity for the president. Mark. You are listening to the best of Mark Levin. Let me just say this. If you'll take a look at some of my social media posts today. Should Donald Trump win the presidency? Or Ron DeSantis or any conservative, the others won't do it. They not only should pardon Trump and Trump himself from anything related to these 
indictments. He should pardon himself, or they should pardon him, for any state indictments or charges too, and claim the supremacy clause. Now, why is that? Because you can't have the Democrat Party going around the federal system into the state and local system to use up to thousands and thousands of DAs and assistant DAs to bring cases against him, as two of them have. One has and one will. Because it does as much damage to a president to defend himself against state criminal charges as federal criminal charges. But Mark, he doesn't have the authority. Again, we're dealing with mental midgets here. These legal analysts do not understand the full constitution. Of course, it's never been done before because president's never been treated like this before. In fact, a presidential candidate's never been treated like this before. So I would argue the supremacy clause. That's what I would argue. That when it comes to a federal presidential election, you cannot have Democrat DAs in this town or that town bringing charges against a president. I mean, they're working on a RICO charge that's used for the mob in Atlanta. That's what I mean. See, none of this fits in the box because Trump didn't violate any laws. Trump didn't violate the Presidential Records Act. So they dust off the 1917 Espionage Act, which they wouldn't even use against Hillary Clinton. Then they dust off the obstruction statutes, which, again, they wouldn't even use against Hillary Clinton. But that's different. The only difference is she wasn't president. He was. So what else is different? Other than two people being treated treated in disparate ways because one is Trump and one's a Clinton. That's it. Simple. You don't need a legal analyst. And the Washington, D.C. thing is just another disgusting and unfunny joke. Where they dust off the Klan Act, among other things. What happened to sedition? A conspiracy to commit sedition? An insurrection? I remember legal analysts, including on my favorite cable network, on Fox. Yeah, that's a slam dunk there. I think that's a slam dunk. And I remember posting against these people, Mr. Producer. One of them is a former deputy independent counsel to my dear friend who's gone, unfortunately, Ken Starr. So everything's at stake right now. Everything. Everything. It's just why we do not have time for the rhinos. The rhinos, which is why some hosts, some media outlets, some platforms can't get enough of them. Keep pushing them out there. The Chris Christie's, the Bill Barr's, the Chris Sununo's. I don't, Sununo's, I don't have to tell you who. You can figure it out. You can see it yourself. You can see it yourself. You know, we don't have many platforms. We conservatives. We don't have many platforms. They need to be used in an intelligent way to defend our liberty and our republic. This isn't about debates. I got one from one side, one from the other. What are you talking about? I'll give you an example. Meet the press. Face the nation. What's the ABC one? I don't even remember. This week with ABC. You want me to come on a debate? One of your uh, legal scholars? Let's do it. 
I don't even want to come on their networks. Happy to do it. Never happened, Mr. Producer, will it? Oh, because they're unfair and unbalanced. That's why. That's why. It's troublesome, but I got to move on. Here's a perfect example of what Joe Biden's doing to the country when it comes to our economy, energy independence, national security. He's destroying us in every way. And that's the Democrat Party. And by the way, a reminder, we're going to make a big push on the book, The Democrat Party is Destroying America. Not because I like to have big pushes on books. It's an enormous amount of work for me and my family and my friends and the publisher and everybody else. Because the message is crucial and this is a crucial time period. And this is what I can do is help spread the word. And what you can do is spread the word. I can't reach all the people you know. I can't reach all your friends. I can't reach all your neighbors. You can reach them. And you can be armed with more knowledge than they'll ever know is possible to possess. I have a friend of mine now reading a pre-publication copy. I don't think I'll mind me mentioning this because he said, asked if he could have permission to tweet on it. And I said, yes. You know Mark Meckler. He's the boss over there at the uh, Convention of States. He says, my God, this is the most important book you've ever written. I said, I know I'm trying to explain that to people. And he said, not only that. The way it's written is so compelling. And by the way, so frustrating. That people need to tie the name Democrat Party to all these events that they've unleashed on this nation in the past and especially right now. I said, 100%. This is essentially a brief, a plain English brief of 400 pages that destroys that party. Here's a perfect example. The New York Post. President Biden frequently extolled an electric vehicle company, which his energy secretary heavily invested, before it declared bankruptcy yesterday. Bay Area-based electric bus and battery maker Proterra filed for Chapter 11 with CEO Gareth Joyce, citing various market and macroeconomic headwinds that have impacted our ability to efficiently scale. That is blah, blah, blah for there's no market for this. There's no market for this. The electric vehicle firm, which sold more than 1,300 electric buses, wow, big deal, to public transit systems in the U.S. and Canada. And they sold it to them, by the way, because those governments insisted that they buy them. It was valued at $1.6 billion when Biden took office in January 2021, but closed with a market value today of $362 million, according to Reuters. In 2021, ready? The president pledged more than $10 billion of your tax dollars from his $1.9 trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure plan which McConnell voted for which Lindsey Graham voted for with 19 moronic Republicans in the Senate voted for towards zero emission transit school bus programs see this is how this works this is how it works 
Just make more promises. And if they fail, make more promises on top of that. Every Marxist regime knows how to do that. He's promoted pro-terra several times since taking office, Biden has, and once virtually toward a facility. Right now, we're running way behind China, but you guys are getting us in the game, Biden said in April 2021. We're going to end up owning the future, I think, if we keep doing what we're doing. What, going bankrupt? And keep in mind, he's doing the same with the country, pushing us into bankruptcy. At the time of the tour, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, there is a moron if there ever was one, held between $1 million and $5 million in stock of the entire vehicle company, the Washington Free Beacon reported, prompting ethics concerns and calls for her divestment. At the time of the tour, Granholm raked in $1.6 million in profit after selling hundreds of shares in May 2021. Ready? Months after she first pledged to do so. She served on Proterra's board from February 2017 until just before her Senate confirmation in January 2021. Biden also appointed Joyce, Proterra's CEO, to the President's Export Council in February 2023. Through his leadership, Garrett Joyce is growing Proterra's EV battery manufacturing footprint in the U.S., and accelerating the transition of, of uh, transit and other commercial vehicles to zero-emission solutions, the White House said in a statement at the time. Philadelphia purchased a fleet of Proterra buses in 2019 that had to be taken out of service in February of the following year due to defects, the local NPR affiliate reported. According to WHYY, I actually know exactly where that is. Sources familiar with the situation blamed a defect in the bus's plastic chassis that led to cracking. Gee, who would have thought, Mr. Producer, plastic chassis crack? Why do you have plastic chassis? But anyway, to make them really light, you know, to meet standards. So the main company that they've been hawking filed for bankruptcy. And God knows how much of your money they got. They can't even succeed when the government's buying their product and the government is subsidizing their manufacturing the product. How do you not succeed when the government's giving you money to produce and giving you money to buy your product? I'll tell you how. Because it's stupid. That's how. The market is the only thing that can make this work. This is where Joe Biden's driving us. What does he say about this today? Nothing. And he's not going to say anything. He's certainly not going to take any responsibility. He'll probably announce it's Donald Trump's fault. You know where Biden is today? He's in Arizona. You know what he's doing in Arizona? He's nationalizing about a million acres of land. He says he's doing that because of the indigenous peoples there. That this was their land. Really? Really? I thought the word Wilmington was an Indian word, eh? an indigenous people's phrase. Is this the game we're going to play? I guess Manhattan needs to be given back, and the whole country needs to be given back. And to which tribe, since the tribes were constantly at each other's throats, massacring each other? And of course, before the tribes, we have the Incas, who came out of, who came out of where? South of the border. What is now Central America was... The entire South American so-called continent. 
Wow. And what came before them? The Spaniards. Who settled the area. So I guess we need to give the United States back to Spain. But don't worry, the Jews, the Jews, what do you mean, Mark? The Jews in Judea and Samaria, according to Joe Biden, that's not their land. Even though they've been there for 4,000 damn years. No, that's not their land. That belongs to the Bedouins, who we call Palestinians today. Oh, now I get it. So here he's taken one million acres away outside of the Grand Canyon. Uh, And uh, there can be no mining there. There can be no drilling there. And this is what they're doing. And they now have their eyeballs, Mr. Producer, on 1.6 million acres in Colorado. Extremely fertile land in the sense that it's very fertile for oil drilling, natural gas, and, and uh, mining. And this is how they're going to destroy our economy in the degrowth movement that was born over 50 years ago in Europe when all the commies met and decided that they were going to use this as an environmental issue. And then we have all the suckers who believe this stuff. Yes. And here we have a company that just went bankrupt. And it was hailed as this great company. I saw some idiot on Fox, a liberal, a Democrat, say, yes, but we subsidize oil companies too. Uh, We subsidize oil companies too. What she means is, we we don't pay oil companies, ladies and gentlemen. They use the tax code that Congress and Biden, who was in Congress forever, created. So if you drill a hole and it comes up dry, it's a tax deduction. Not all of it, part of it. Or if you buy equipment to drill or to refine, when you make investments like that, you get better tax treatment because of your capital investment. This is what they mean by subsidizing. We don't hand oil companies $10 billion. Hey, look at this. But the Democrat Party's filled with liars and scoundrels, miscreants and malcontents. That's why I'm pushing the hell out of this book. And you're going to think, just like Mark Meckler, who we have tremendous respect, that this is an incredible book. And not only that, I will be doing a one-hour interview with Hannity before it's released. I'll be doing a one-hour interview, I think, with Hegseth, who will do it on my show. We're going to promote it very strongly, and I want to encourage you to go to Amazon.com now or any of these retailer outlet links. And Amazon, it's 40% off. Get in the queue and grab your book. Because this has to win the day. We have to win the day. The case has to win the day. Let me put it to you this way. Milton Friedman used to say, Everything that really goes wrong in our society in a major way is the fault of government. And he's right. But I'm going to amend it. Here's what Mark Levin says. Everything major that goes wrong in our country today is the fault of the Democrat Party. They own the federal government. 
They own the federal bureaucracy. They own the media. They own our educational system. Anything major that goes wrong in this country, and I would go further, anything minor that goes wrong in this country is on the shoulders of the Democrat Party. It is today as it was 150 years ago. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. It's funny to hear Chris Christie uh, complain that Trump might not be at the debate, but he won't come on conservative talk radio. It's amazing. Now, that aside, I want to explain something to the Republican establishment. Republicans listening to me at the RNC, in the Senate, in the House, Republican ward leaders, precinct leaders, committee men and committee women. I want the people who make up the bureaucracy in the Republican Party to listen to me very, very carefully. If the Democrats succeed in what they're doing, the Republican Party will be a minority party. It'll be an irrelevant party for the rest of time. For several reasons. Number one. It will embolden the Democrat Party to become even more autocratic than it is. Because you folks would not have stood up to it. Not you in the audience. I'm talking about the GOP bureaucracy, the ruling class, the never Trumpers. I'm talking about clown shows like Mike Ludic. And so many others. Pence. Christie. The Republican Party will not be able to recover. Mitch McConnell has already announced he will not entertain impeachment in the Senate. That's called thunder in the background. That's thundering to the truth. And um, if that's the way they play ball, then the Democrats are more than happy to do it. The Democrats are paying, playing UFC without gloves, and the Republicans are playing bocce. The Democrats will win every time. They're destroying the court system. We have now more activists, radical left-wing judges than I can ever remember. And we expect help from judges to really uphold the law and to put an end to this sort of thing, but they won't. They're cowards. They come up with doctrines or arguments. You know, a judge's opinion is basically an essay with all kinds of legal citations and so forth. But that's what's going on. And number two, you and me, we will be so disgusted with the Republican Party for failing to do basically anything to fight this. Don't get me wrong, investigating Biden is important. I'm not talking about that. Doing anything effective to fight this. Now, you won't give a damn if they win or lose, and neither will I. Because tyranny is spreading with them, tyranny is spreading without them. 
That's the nature of one-party rule. You see it all over the world. <clears throat> Places like the Gaza Strip, Communist China, Communist Cuba, Venezuela, Russia, California, Illinois, Chris Christie's New Jersey, and so forth and so on. So what's the point? And you'll be right. What's the point? Donald Trump has done nothing to earn this kind of this kind of attack on his life, on his liberty. Nothing. Oh, the documents. And you listen to these fools on TV, these legal analysts, tell you how serious it is. It is completely unserious. Unserious. Which is why nobody's been prosecuted before. Not Hillary Clinton, not Bill Clinton, nobody! In a senior position in our government. Ever! Which is why... This prosecutor is using every dirty trick in the book and more. They don't want you to know what's really going on in America, which is why they're trying to gag Trump, which is why so much of this has taken place in secrecy. Now we know back in January, and apparently, according to reports, Trump just learned this today. A warrant was issued by some judge whose name we don't know in secret to access his Twitter account. Twitter, under the ownership of Elon Musk, resisted it. The judge's ruling is appealed to the D.C. Circuit, which is populated with radical Democrats because Obama and Harry Reid, when he was in charge of the Senate, expanded the circuit court And added more Obama judges to it. Did you know that? Maybe one of the backbenchers on TV or radio will regurgitate that tonight or tomorrow. Equal justice. Have you noticed, those of you who who take a peek at MSNBC or CNN, have you noticed how happy they are? Have you noticed how self-congratulatory they are? Have you noticed? They think this is great. You have that inbred-looking Joe Scarborough, who's led such an ethical and moral life. I'm sure you have, Joe. They have their new line now. Anybody who accepts what somebody like me is saying, anybody who defends Donald Trump at this point, you're just as sick and deranged as he is. That's what he said. And you have no morals. You have no scruples. J. Michael Ludig, who's been a parasite on the ass of Washington, D.C. forever, who was turned down for the Supreme Court 
by, among others, Donald Trump, says the same thing. Says the Republican Party's dead. It's dead. Because you don't agree with him. You don't agree with Mike, J. Michael Ludig. There's something wrong with you, Peggy Noonan. All the usual very creepy, you know, wine drinking, cheese eating, socialites, same circles, Washington to New York, New York to Washington, every now and then L.A., same people. So now the, you see, the Republican Party is dead because of conservatives. You needed to listen to the Never Trumpers. You needed to to get behind Jeb Bush. Now you need to get behind Chris Christie. Or Mike Pence, now that he is. He's gone to the media and to the left with bended knee. You need to listen to the endlessly stupid Bill Barr, ubiquitous all over TV now. Absolutely incoherent when it comes to discussions related to Trump. It's sad. It's sad. So what I'm trying to tell the Republican ruling class in Washington, all your little special interest pals, the enormous money you raise, Mitch McConnell raises enormous amounts of money from these people to use against you the way he used it against the Tea Party. Mitch McConnell wants control, even in his enfeebled state. He wants control. He doesn't want to let go. He can't, he can't let go. He can't let go. It's like Franco in Spain. You remember him? No, you guys don't remember him. Franco in Spain. He couldn't let go. Is he, is he around today? Is he not around today? Who knows? He won't let go. Because then he just becomes another old man hanging out in an assisted living facility in Kentucky. There's nothing wrong with that. But for Mitch McConnell, that's intolerable. I'm going to be there one day. We all No, no. For Mitch McConnell, it's intolerable. Joe Biden. Joe Biden is not going to agree to anybody else running for president. Do you want to know why? Because he has his boy in place as Attorney General of the United States. And his boy, the mob lawyer, Merrick Garland, is not going to appoint a special counsel. In fact, he's not even going to conduct a criminal investigation despite all this information. He's under no pressure to do it except from these Republicans, you see. And even they are divided. Well, what kind of special counsel are we going to get? May hurt us politically. You know, then we can't hold hearings. What are we going to do? The uh, Keystone Cop Republicans. Keystone Cops. So, what the Republican ruling class doesn't understand is they will cease to be in any, excuse me, in any sense, effective in any way. And maybe that's okay by them. As long as they're handed a few, few dollar bills by the Democrats. 
as long as they and their families are protected, get a few shekels here and there, maybe that's okay. Get the limousines, so forth and so on. Maybe they're bought off too. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. So it's a great honor to have the president and CEO, David Trulio of the Reagan Foundation Library with us. Uh, David, how are you, sir? Mark, I'm doing great, and I'm even better now that I'm on your show. Thank you for having me. Well, you're very kind, and uh, you informed me the other day that you're a regular listener, that we've met. And uh, sounds like we're going to have a hell of a time, David. So first, I want the audience to know, as soon as you announce the link, people need to act very, very quickly. Because once you're sold out, there's nothing we can do about it. So tell them when it is, where it is, and what it is that we do. Mark, we are very excited to welcome you back to the Reagan Library, the place that bears the name of the greatest president of the 20th century. So here are the details. It's going to be on October 21st. That you, you've been generous uh, in agreeing to, to, to chunk off four hours to do a book signing. There'll be sessions at 1.30, at 2.30, at 3.30, and at 4.30. Then we'll proceed to a, a program where you'll be on stage with me. We will have a conversation about your book, The Democrat Party Hates America. And then when the program concludes, we will roll into dinner under the wings of Air Force One in our Air Force One pavilion. So it's going to be really exciting and uh, strongly encourage people to sign up now. And if you'd like, Mark, I can share that uh, special website or you can't. Sure, go right ahead. Absolutely, Mark, thank you. It's reaganfoundation.org slash Levin. So once again, reaganfoundation.org slash Levin. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be tremendous. And look, it's going to sell out. That's a reality. So if people come to this um, after it sells out, they can still uh, attend a signing uh, by, by signing up to, to, to get, you know, get, get a book and uh, be in one of those sessions that I mentioned. So what typically happens, folks, is we sell out within the 30 minutes uh, the full program. Most people like the full program because it's fantastic. This is my only West Coast signing. That's it. Uh, and uh, people come from all over the country, all over the world, but particularly west of the Mississippi. And it's a great place to come to the Reagan Library. There's lots to do there. It's very comfortable. It's air-conditioned. Uh, also, it is a, a place where uh, you can visit where the Reagans are buried, which is uh, very near and dear to my heart. Very powerful. Very yeah, powerful. Yeah, very powerful. And there's a bench there with a plaque to my own parents as well. But I want to encourage as many of you to come as possible and to act very quickly so you're not disappointed it really is a great deal. You'll be there all day. We'll start our signings. You can actually go to the library in the morning and do your thing. Uh, I don't leave till every darn book is signed. And I shake everybody's hand. And everybody who's done this before knows it. Uh, we do it every two years, assuming I can. And uh, we do. And this is sort of, sort of like, you know, uh, there's certain animals out there every season. They, they move from one part of the world to the other part of the world. That's kind of me. That's kind of our support is every two years we take a little trip out to the Reagan Library and then we come back. So, uh, And Mark, you've been there seven yeah. times before seven? in connection. Yes, we, I had my staff do a count. You've been very generous. And uh, just to everybody listening, 
this will sell out. That's, that's what history has taught us. But I encourage everybody to come for the day. Our bar and bistro opens at 1030. It'll close right before you go on stage, Mark. Uh, there's the Reagan Museum. There's the tremendous Auschwitz special exhibit not long ago, not far away. And, um, you know, you, again, you've been so generous with your time in the past and, and, and on the 21st. So people should go to reaganfoundation.org slash Levin to, uh, to guarantee a spot. It's also on all of our social platforms. If you want to check it out there, you can just hit the link and you're right in. Um, and I would encourage you to do that. Uh, there's, I get people contact me afterwards, David, and they say, oh, I missed it. What can I do? There's nothing I can do. In other words, how many, how many slots do you actually have for the full day? Well, it's, uh, it, there, there, it's quite a number, Mark. We, we go to capacity. We don't want to have any problems with the, uh, the fire marshal. I'm going to say roughly 1,000, uh, but you know, don't quote me on that. But it's, I mean, look, we, we fill it up. If we, ha- if we had twice the space, we'd love to have twice the, the members of your audience and folks who want to get to know you better and, and hear, hear about the book. But we, 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 we go right up to the line, but don't cross it. We're going to have a thorough discussion of the book. Um, and I want to say to you folks, David, at the Reagan Library, it took some guts to do this because the title of the book uh, provokes some people. The Democrat Party hates America. And yet this book is not about politics. This book is about history. This book is about the culture. Politics is important. It's kind of a side issue. It's about what's happening to the country. And, uh, you know, Reagan gave his famous speech in 1964. And in fact, your entire speech series is named after that speech. And that speech a was time considered, for choosing. a time for choosing. And it was considered provocative, but it wasn't provocative. It was prescient, wasn't it? it? It was. And look, President Reagan wanted the institution that bears his name to be, as he put it, a dynamic intellectual forum. So guess what? It's okay if people disagree. Uh, it's okay to have policymakers and, and thinkers, thought leaders debate. Uh, that's the kind of place that President Reagan wanted to have. Mm-hmm. I campaigned for Reagan in 76. I campaigned for Reagan in 80. I served in his administration for eight years from a relatively low position to very significant positions. Um, what a fantastic man. I met him several times. I met him in the Oval Office, as nice as can be. He was a very, very intelligent man, wasn't he, David? Very, very well-read. Uh, extremely well-read, well-traveled, thoughtful. He spent many years thinking and honing and doing uh, public speaking that, that sharpened his thinking and, and his, his, his delivery. He was a great man. Mark, I'm 49 years old. I was six when he took office or got elected and 14 when he left office. I feel very lucky that I grew up with Ronald Reagan as a model of what a president was and should be. And you know what's interesting, America, is everybody now says they're a Reaganite. And what's funny, David, is I remember when everybody didn't say that. I mean, he had a fight for the nomination twice. In 1968, his state delegates put him up for it. They blew him out. In uh, 76, we know the story there. The uh, delegates said, wait a minute, we probably should have nominated him. And then in 1980, he still had to duke it out. And when finally he got through that Republican primary process... He won by a massive landslide, right? Popular vote and electoral college vote, like nothing we've seen. Well, look, uh, success in hindsight can, can look easy. It was, a, it was a tough, hard fight, and there was some heartbreak along the way, as you noted, uh, particularly in 76. 
Um, but, you know, th- thank God that it all came together the way it did. Uh, he, um, you know, he and the people who supported him changed, changed the world and, and uh, changed the way America saw itself and got America, uh, it got its confidence back. So it was, it was very powerful. Well, and there are many applicable to, yeah. lessons today, especially with what's going on today. Oh, yeah, it's pretty brutal. I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you in and around California, this is where we meet. This is where we're going to have our national town hall meeting on October 21st, Saturday, beginning at 1.30 p.m. So as many of us as possible should join together. We're going to share conversations. We're going to share some meal, dinner. And uh, David and I are going to have a chat about this book, about the state of America. It's only going to happen in one place, at the Reagan Library, and uh, on the West Coast. And I hope you'll join us. Once more, the link is reaganfoundation.org slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. reaganfoundation.org slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. And you can go on any of our social media sites. It's right there. Hit it and get in. Are you able to tell us now how we're doing? I don't mean numbers-wise, but does there seem to be interest in this, David? Mark, the, the, the Internet is on fire, and uh, uh, some people have also been calling, but we do encourage people to sign up online. So uh, it's just a question of, of how quickly this is going to sell out. We do want to know. You can tell me later. I, uh, I compete against myself. Uh, you got it. You got it. All right, my friend. Well, thank, thank you, you very Mark. Much. We can't wait to have you. Good luck. Appreciate it very much. God bless. Hi to everybody there. Melissa in the crowd. Take care. All right, folks, there you have it. It's a secret no more. It's a secret no more. We're very excited about this. I'll travel there with my wife, Julie, and uh, other family members, I'm supposing. But we will definitely be there. We're going to go out there for one purpose, to see you. And then we'll come back east. Uh, So we'll have this in October. And another reminder, September 23rd, Saturday, Bookends in Ridgewood, New Jersey. That'll start at 10 a.m. And then the next day, Sunday, September 24th, we'll have Barnes & Noble, Tyson's Corner, McLean, Virginia, 1 p.m. But for west of the Mississippi, this is it. You want to join us. And and what's fantastic about this, I'm going to tell you something. It's, It's a huge memory. People make friends while they're waiting. And we have a hell of a good time. 